When defending a biblical doctrine or practice, have you ever been accused of not caring for the lost? I've written a column in the latest Issues Etc. journal titled Playing the Mission Card. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Jeremy Lamont recounts his slow and sometimes painful path out of Mormonism to the Lutheran Confession. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. I think the new epic is founded on the volatile and non-transferable platform of human emotion. It's purely visceral feelings and sentiment, which are themselves inscrutable. The problem with CRT is that it has the same problem that the white nationalists do, just define everybody by their race and not who they are as an individual, where you have the white nationalists doing this and you have the critical race theorists doing this, they're just doing it in different directions. But given the challenges that black families face specifically, I don't think it's too much to ask for the leading civil rights organizations to talk more about the importance of the black family than they do about the importance of Planned Parenthood's agenda. And the only way he can justly forgive is by paying the price for those sins himself. And so this is the way humanity can find meaning and purpose and know right from wrong. And that truth's only found within scripture. Young Lutherans ages four and six learn the evening prayer from listening to Issues Etc. I thank you, my heavenly father, what is the biggest obstacle in witnessing to homosexuals or other members of the LGBTQ community? Christians want to do it. We are now in a position where loved ones, family, friends are part of that community. What's the biggest obstacle there? And what's changed with the ascendancy of transgenderism in the LGBTQ movement? It's virtually taken over. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live on this Friday afternoon, February the 24th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be talking about witnessing to LGBTQ people with Dr. John Bombaro. We'll spend some time with Pastor Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith this week in Pop Christianity, talking about the charismatic reaction to the Asbury University revival. Then our series, Responding Roman Catholic Proof Text, continues. Did St. Augustine teach that the church decides doctrine? Dr. Stephen Parks will answer that question. He's from Concordia University, Irvine, California. Dr. John Bombaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He made a presentation at a Making Disciples for Life conference titled Witnessing to LGBTQ People. He joins us from Prague. John, welcome back. It's nice to be with you again, Todd. Thank you. What can you tell us about your outreach to homosexuals while you were a pastor in San Diego? Well, Grace Lutheran Church in uptown San Diego, I'm no longer there. I left that parish four years ago when I was activated for a tour at the Pentagon. That's now the parish of Pastor Brian Thomas, who's doing a wonderful job and continuing excellent ministry there. But for the 12 years that I was there, upon my arrival, Hillcrest section of San Diego was one of the two or three most densely populated homosexual communities in North America. And that parish may have been the only LCMS church in a predominantly homosexual community. One of the things that really colored my engagement with ministry there was really Jesus's response with the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, that's verses 25 to 37. 
So Jesus is engaged with one of the experts on the law who, as if I recall correctly, verse 29 says, wanting to justify himself, asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he gives the story, the parable of the good Samaritan, which of course in first century Jewish context, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. They were beneath dogs. They were subhuman. Well, the whole thing concludes with this stunning remark about Jesus asking, who was neighbor to the Samaritan, right? And then he gives the command, go and do likewise. So the nature of the pastoral ministry and outreach for us at Grace Lutheran in San Diego was a recognition of who is our neighbor. And it really just consisted of doing neighborly things, being part of the neighborhood. So when we held events in the church and on the church property, which have a wonderful property there at Grace, we invited our gay neighbors. And likewise, as we became friends and cooperated with the neighbors, participating in a whole host of different things, including participating in San Diegans for Safe Neighborhoods, in trying to clean up our neighborhood and purge it from a, a drug presence and other things, we became quite friendly with our gay neighbors and we invited them into our home and to sit around our table and have dinner and we were invited into their homes. And likewise, when events were taking place, whether it be fundraisers for Make-A-Wish Foundation and the like, we showed up. Melinda and I were there and they likewise showed up to the church and were constantly being invited in for whether it was a, a musical event or indeed the observance of Lent and Ash Wednesday. And so too, throughout the church calendar, constant open door policy. And, you know, that was actually one of the things that we did too, was we encourage, although the parking is in the back of the parish, we encourage as many parishioners as possible to walk around the block to the front of the parish and enter in through the front doors where all the foot traffic uh, was taking place. It was kind of our front porch to the gay community where only a block away was a big outdoor Sunday market. You know, it was like kind of a fresh market that was out there. And this way, our gay neighbors saw that the church was abuzz with activity, and it was not uncommon. Indeed, on a weekly basis, we would see new faces in the parish, indeed, new gay faces in the parish, and taking a seat in the pews. So even during the divine service, the one thing we were careful to do was literally never close the doors that opened out into the street, four big doors wide open, all the hymnody spilling out there, the ringing of the sanctus bells, the chanting, the singing, the preaching, all of that. It had a wonderful narthex too, in which people could breeze in and listen for a while and go out in a sort of non-risky way for themselves. And yeah, this was the, the nature of the ministry was, let's be neighbors to our neighbors and our neighbors were neighborly in return. Did you ever encounter any hostility from the gay community? Yes, we did. I think we had four registered hate crimes committed against the church and the parish. It included sometimes we would come back from an outing and there would be rainbow flags pinned up on all the doors of the church. There was vandalism as well. The marquee frequently was vandalized. On Christmas Eve, someone had taken a two by four and bashed in the nativity window and then had left threatening messages. I had received death threats and other threats of violence, not only to myself, to some of our teaching staff and such. So, you know, we did have 
important security measures. You know, we took that very seriously for the safety of the congregation, our Sunday events and such. And thank goodness there was hardly ever an event that took place on the Sunday. It was uh, frequently during the week. And then there were a couple events in which either myself or one of our teachers or my family was accosted and we were not shy about contacting the police who were always wonderfully responsive in, in San Diego and they did a great job to always quell any kind of disturbance that, that we had experienced. So yes, there were some hostilities there, but our, our Lord told us to expect some persecution. And so we took it all in good cheer. What's the main challenge in witnessing to LGBTQ people? I think that the main challenge is probably two. One is that there are certain of those within the larger umbrella of the Christian church that are openly hostile toward homosexuals and the homosexual community, branding them as it were a different kind of human being. And then the second challenge, and, and so uh, concerning the first, witness is stymied right off the bat. There's a sort of caricature that's made of homosexuals. And so they feel unwelcome and usually rightly so because the rhetoric is unwelcoming. There is not a posture of engaging with one's neighbor, but rather this is the enemy, the threat, the other, them. Likewise, however, it works in the opposite direction where there are certain activists who are imposing a particular ideology that wants to distance the homosexual community from falling within the larger umbrella of the way that we understand humanity, that's to say, biblical anthropology, that all of humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that all of humanity needs to be redeemed by Christ and renewed, that there's something broken and wrong with all of humanity, and homosexuals are not a different kind of humanity that are exempt so this is particularly a challenge today because of the identity politics have given, as it were, a sort of buffer or protection to the homosexual community as exempt from the categorizations that come to us in Holy Scripture, so much so that, for instance, in Canada, uh, any kind of non-pro or indeed biblical statement concerning homosexuality from the Christian community is deemed hate speech. Uh, so this, this creates, I think, a, a really unhelpful environment, which makes me want to comment that I have to admit that I'm a bit skeptical about accusations of so-called widespread Christian homophobia. I don't believe that this is the case, and I rarely run into it, far less so than I had found in the opposite way of, of homosexual hostility toward Christianity, and I'm saying as one who was immersed in a homosexual community for 12 years, it seems to me there's far more of a, a climate of reticence to engage, I would say Christians to engage homosexuals, whereby we view all of our otherwise neighbors with a hermeneutic of suspicion. And I think that the COVID phenomenon did nothing but exacerbate this. So that due to the protocols and dispositions and associations with COVID, we've come to associate people with infection rather than with affection. In other words, we begin to view people with ideological associations. 
activism and such, which we may view as a threat to the family, maybe even to the values of uh, Americana. We view them as things and the labels or demographic categories and political identities that divide, that are imposed upon people. What really creates a problem here is that we wind up viewing people as things rather than the lost sheep that Jesus, at great cost to himself, pursues in an effort to rescue. And, and you see, I think that's really the goal. The goal of Christianity is to get past these obstacles on both sides so that we see such people as part of our family, the human family, because there is only one race, the human race. And so we would like to see them part of the church family where the blood of Christ is thicker than race or identity politics. So if there's anything that Jesus does, I think that he saves us from ourselves and the homosexual community is included in that. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. We're talking about witnessing to LGBTQ people. Why is the biblical account of God's historical work of redemption in human reality, why is that the basis of the Christian perspective on homosexuality? Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Others talk. We have something to say. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. We're Mount Calvary Lutheran Church of the Missouri Synod, located in Brady, the heart of Texas, the closest city to the center of our great state. We're a confessional, traditional, liturgical, sacramental, faithful congregation. We welcome you to Sunday School, Bible Study, and Divine Service with every Sunday communion. You'll find us on the west side of town on Highway 87, next to the Brady Civic Center Golf Course and Cemetery. Mount Calvary Lutheran Church, Brady, Texas, where Christ is at the heart. Equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Find out about the work of Lutherans for Life 
at lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. We're talking about witnessing to LGBTQ people. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. John, you have written this. That which forms and informs a Christian perspective of homosexuals and homosexuality is the biblical account of God's historical work of redemption in human reality. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I'm talking here about the basic story of Holy Scripture that defines all of our stories. So, you know, to quote uh, Hans Frey, who said that we live narratable lives, we all have a story, but there is a grand story, an overarching story that gives meaning and semblance to our stories. And this all-encompassing story is the basic story of humanity, and it concerns one race, one people that stand quorum Deo before the face of God. So it's important for us to have that as our starting point and reject all other competing anthropologies that are going to divide and denigrate. Christians don't work that way. We understand that God has come to try to reclaim and restore humanity, and not so much the individual, but the family. And this is why he gives covenants, not to individuals, but to persons who represent families and people. You know, it begins with Abraham. It's not simply Abraham, but it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of his descendants. You know, the covenant with David isn't with David, but David and his generations that follow after him. And then, of course, Christ comes as the last Adam with whom a covenant was made for all of humanity, and he comes to redeem the entire family of mankind. So it's important for us to own simply this. There are not several kinds of human beings. There is only one. The biblical perspective of humanity extols the sanctity and integrity of the human race. We all share in this basic need and plight because of our sinful condition, and therefore we all equally share in the need for the Redeemer. And it's that story that gives meaning and semblance to our stories. God's story is the meta-narrative or the umbrella story over all of humanity. And it gives us a kinship, and it gives us a sacred kinship because it's defining for humanity, not these underlying stories, not these demographic divisions, not identity politics. All of those things will continue to fragment, to exacerbate, to turn people on one another. But rather, when we understand that we're all in a collective need, then there's a different motivation for us. It's not, I'm out to get my own, or as Peter Gabriel sings in his song, castigating the other because they're not one of us. We're all in the same boat. We're all fallen and in need of a redeemer. And the point is this, is that homosexuals are not immune to the biblical description of the human condition. They are not unique within the biblical record of redemptive history, and they don't belong to a different kind of humanity. God is set to reconcile all of humanity, and this includes the homosexual as well. Why should our approach to homosexuals begin with the sanctity and integrity of the human race? Because this is a unifying factor. And more than that, it is literally God's view and approach to humanity himself. It's been revealed to us in Holy Scripture. And we can even move back scientifically, that's to say biologically, to see that we all share in the same origins. And we're going to go back to the same couple, our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
So the unity and integrity, the sanctity of the human race is literally the starting point. It truly is the ploy of the evil one to foster this whole concept of race and racism. You know, I grew up in Philadelphia in the 1970s and 80s, and we hardly knew racism. I mean, there were, you know, instances that popped up here and there. But now it's so much more proliferated. It's so much more pronounced. And I think that we have moved away from a more biblical understanding of us being united and that Christ himself offers that paragon for us. You know, as the last Adam and the firstborn from the dead, he shows us a unified humanity that's been recreated, recreated in union with him through the waters of holy baptism, being birthed from our one mother, the holy church. And so it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity has been. Christ really becomes the paragon for the unity of the human race, which already had a solidarity prior to that time as we emerged from our first parents from the point of creation. Why is it important to know that homosexuals, as you have said just a moment ago, are not immune to the biblical description of the human condition? Because it does create this division, this alienation, uh, that they're a different kind of humanity. And this kind of humanity, as some would want to say, are not fallen, that there is an element of self-justification or vindication for that disposition, for those preferences, for those choices. And so the gospel itself no longer becomes the remedy for that humanity. And that's deeply problematic because now we're isolating, cordoning off a section of human beings that we hold in solidarity with us according to Holy Scripture and the reality of nature and biology and say, well, this group here, for them, the gospel is not applicable. There's no need for blood atonement for them. There's no need to be justified by another. There's no need for divine grace and gifting. So it's critically important that we hold humanity as one kind of being, the human being, and one race, the human race. What is the same and different about homosexual sin from heterosexual sin? Well, what is same about it is that it is in fact sin, and that this is part of the corruption of the human nature, that there's been something altered within humanity and mind, will, and emotions. Even our rationale has been tainted with sin. This is what we mean by total depravity, not that we're as depraved as we possibly can be, but the totality of our being has been affected by sin, so much so that even our physicality gives way to it, and we wind up succumbing to the persecution of ill health, of premature death, etc., so what is the same as this, is that all sin is condemned, and all sin is an act of rebellion over against God. It is the assertion of the human will over against the rule of God itself. Ultimately, it, it's bound in the deification of the human being and a self-rule over against the best way to love ourselves. And, you know, Jesus, you know, self-love is not an inherently bad thing, but inordinate self-love and a disordered self-love is really the root of all evil in that regard. 
A rightly ordered self-love sees that loving God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength is the very best way for me to love myself and to love my neighbor. So this is why we would call these things the same. You know, we fall under the umbrella of sin and that the remedy is the same. What is different is that with respect to natural law, the nature, the relations that are engaged are of a different sort. And because there has been a, a history in which humanity has perpetuated itself within the context of human flourishing, namely the heterosexual family, the homosexual relation has fallen outside of that, of course, as not the context for human flourishing. And two, because it doesn't yield what the heterosexual relationship does, which is through procreation, the begetting of human beings. So the idea of natural law comes into play here. You even hear this articulated, for instance, in C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man, where he steers away from having an explicitly Christian conversation about the holy scriptures and the revelation of, of God's holy law vis-a-vis homosexual practice and speaks about it in terms of the Tao, in terms of natural law. So we have that there. I also want to say this is that it is not merely act, but as in all sin, we make a particular kind of confession. And we've just done this on Ash Wednesday. We've sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. So it's even our own very dispositions that need regeneration, renewal, dispositions that require the power of Christ's forgiveness to transform us into his likeness. We are talking with Dr. John Bombaro about witnessing to LGBTQ people. What has changed now with the sudden ascendancy of transgenderism in the LGBTQ movement? Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. Do you know the fastest growing religious group in the United States? Is it Roman Catholics? Nope. It's not Protestants either. Rather, it's those who mark none on religion's preference surveys. They don't belong to any particular denomination. They still believe in some sort of spiritual being and reality, but they don't believe and don't claim adherence to any particular religious group. The March issue of The Lutheran Witness picks up the question of the nuns. To learn more, visit witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com. 
Your Aunt Mabel's church banners are from the 60s. They were quite something in the day, especially the psychedelic bell-bottoms. But now the colours have faded, the tassels fell off years ago, and the hand-stitched letters are skew. Come on over to adcrucem.com and see our beautiful, theologically correct, Christ-focused church banners. We can customise size and colour to meet your church's requirements. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Advent Lutheran, Zionsville, Indiana. Holy Shepherd Lutheran, Haslett, Texas. Holy Trinity Lutheran, Columbia, South Carolina. Our Redeemer Lutheran, Emmett, Idaho. St. Paul Lutheran, International Falls, Minnesota. Our Redeemer Lutheran, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Redeemer Lutheran, Lincoln, Nebraska. St. Peter Lutheran, Arlington, Wisconsin. Trinity Lutheran, Okmulgee, Oklahoma. And Zion Lutheran, Pleasant Plains, Illinois. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about witnessing to LGBTQ people. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. He made a presentation at a Making Disciples for Life conference titled Witnessing to LGBTQ People. So, John, what has changed now with the ascendancy, and it's been very sudden over just the last few short years, the ascendancy of transgenderism in the LGBTQ movement? It has virtually taken over the conversation. Yeah, so... There are some concerns here because certain things have taken much, much longer to normalize. So, for instance, the acceptance of homosexuality in public society took decades to happen. Uh, The redefinition of the family took the better part of about two decades to happen. But what's interesting is now we've moved into transgendering and within the space of just five years or so, it has dominated the LGBTQ movement and conversation. In fact, it's in all the news, whether you're listening to reports of the lawsuits from Chloe to the research that's coming out of Europe concerning the harm, particularly in Finland, where the research has been cutting edge of transgendering and the long-term ill effects it has etc. So what has happened? I think that what we had with the LGBTQ movement was a process of complexification, where you had the redefinition of a human being that really complicated the storyline about identity and sex. And it did this by way of the multiplication of gender identities. You know, at five years ago, it was at 37. Now there are approximately over 120. That complex becomes simple through explanation, but the explanation doesn't come by way of reason and logic as we would understand. 
in which there would be debate and conversation and where scholarship and academic integrity would be important. No, that's not the nature of the explanation. Today, it is on by way of feelings and personal sentiments. So it's retreated into the interior. So you have complexification, and that gives way through explanation to simplify. So it becomes really, really simple, usually catchphrases, a little cliche. And then that simplification seeps into all of society through saturation. It's proliferated on the magazines. It's talked about incessantly. And that is what gives it a sense of normalization. What's different about it now is that unlike being gay or homosexual or bisexual, there is no real alteration to human physicality. In other words, no drugs are taken and there are no surgeries that are involved. It doesn't come with the deceit that if you change just the outward cosmetics, that this is actually affecting ontological change in the interior. But we know that this, in fact, is not the case. The substance is not altered. The ontology of the person isn't altered. The biology of the person is not altered, even though they have been given drugs or have undergone these radical surgeries. And what we're finding is that they have long-term deleterious effects, and it's impacting such people in profound life-altering ways that cannot be reversed. So what's different about transgendering is that it literally alters the person's entire physicality, sometimes in irredeemable, irreversible ways. How is understanding the philosophical roots of the LGBTQ movement? Why is that so important? It's important because it tells us what we're dealing with here is an ideological movement. So with the ontological redefinition of personhood, it's been based upon what's called ideological constructionism, which may be characterized as a phenomenon of self-adjudicating by way of personal preferences and matters of taste or bias. And it's conditioned by social permissibility, one set of beliefs and subjective moral standards, and imposing them upon external civic society and insisting their legitimacy so as to warrant their acceptance as a human right. And that's where we are today. So behind this, I would call headlong incaution are radical ideas and a contradictory ideological framework that does not stand up to sound reasoning, biology, good medicine, honesty. And what's important to us in a conversation about evangelism is love. It doesn't even stand up to love. What is humanitarianism? Well, this is connected to our conversation about ideological constructionism, and it does require a little bit of explanation. So we're familiar with humanism, secular humanism, and we're familiar with humanitarian aid. Well, these two words come together and they give us this concept of humanitarianism and is specifically ethically charged. So let me explain. Today's social and worldviewing plausibility structure. So a plausibility structure is the way that we look at the world and say, oh, 
this is plausible within the world in which I live. This is something that is possible. It shapes the way in which we imagine things can be. So this is what I'm talking about. In today's social and worldviewing plausibility structure, the way that we imagine the world can be, such that we find reinforced at all levels of public education, mass media, pop entertainment, government, it's no longer bothered by the God question as a question because they are devotees of exclusive humanism, otherwise known as humanitarianism. And humanitarianism is a way of being in the world that offers significance without transcendence. So there's no transcendent referent, neither theological nor platonic. And in other words, it gives a person a framework of being in the world with no reference at all to God and says that that gives meaning, but it hits a dead end. I mentioned earlier C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man. He saw this coming back in 1947 and wrote about it then. I would encourage your listeners to pick up that book and read it along with Michael Ward's After Humanity, where he offers commentary on that entire book. It is all current like nothing else. So let's talk just a little bit further about humanitarianism. Both humanism and humanitarian aid contribute to this larger ideological framework, humanitarianism. And it slipped right under the church's radar because the church itself is deeply invested in humane endeavors and humanitarian care and aid. We care about helping human beings, opens wonderful avenues for sharing the gospel and being good to our neighbor. And for the better part of a century, humanitarianism has grown within the church um, and has a place of normalcy. And so no one has really kind of talked about it or discussed it, but it promotes two converging forces. On the one hand, the insistence that human beings lived in closed cultures that are completely sufficient to themselves. And on the other hand, that our elites are you know, announcing this unification of humanity that escapes all kinds of, of traditional loyalties, for instance, to our holy faith, to Christ, or even national loyalties and identification. So in other words, it becomes its own religion. And it purges true religion and patriotism for an ethic which is all about humanity. So we, we have an ethic in which when we make decisions about things, we don't tap into transcendent principles, you know, like justice, love, righteousness, holiness. Those things aren't even touched in the platonic sense, much less theological. Instead, humanity and humanity alone gives us the parameters for the human ethic. And that's where we live today. The LGBTQ movement has systematically deconstructed what I think used to be a common cultural vocabulary. So how do we establish a common language in an attempt to witness? I think this is really the most important question, and that is we're talking about recovering, once again, a grammar of humanity, a grammar of what it means to be human. Going back to the abolition of man, what C.S. Lewis was concerned about was the slipping away of language, these words that had meaning 
and allowing them to be supplanted by a new vocabulary in which the meaning was not established and which people could not trade and therefore mean the same thing. So you wind up talking past each other. And as I've said before, when you change the words, you change the meaning. And when you change the meaning, you change the significance. What's critically important for us to do is to recover a syntax a grammar, a vocabulary of humanity such that has transcended our specific moment and provides enduring meaning, something that persists through time so that we can actually have conversation. And it's in conversation, this with versing with each other, where there's an exchange and, and there's meaning and understanding with that, that we can engage in witness where we can share the love of Christ, where we can bear in one another's burdens. If we're not engaged in conversation and the vocabulary is constantly being changed, all that we're engaged in is autobiography. And then I'm just waiting for you to shut up so I can start talking. And that's what's important, not only in Lewis's day where he saw it coming down the pike with progressivism and progressivism has given way to activism and activism itself is fostering nothing but identity politics and a radical fragmenting in our society, what we need to be is more unified, more unified in our language and our meaning. And we as Lutherans are in a really advantageous place to do this because we share a confession. We have concordia. We have the Lutheran confessions that give us the vocabulary that pertains to humanity itself, to that one storyline for the one race of humanity by which the one Redeemer comes to save all of us, a place where this can be fostered and fortified into every aspect of human living is with classical education. A classical Christian education is utterly critical for giving us the syntax, the vocabulary, the grammar of being human once again in conversation and that only fortifies our appreciation and value for the Word of God and our Lutheran confessions. Dr. John Bambaro is our guest. Witnessing to LGBTQ people is our topic. Your link to issues, etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas is accepting new student applications for the 2023-24 school year. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade students. They also offer live online classes for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org. Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. On the other side, how is the authentic witness to LGBTQ people harmed by the wholesale compromise of fellow Christians? This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. Issuesetc.org. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? 
The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, The Story Behind Your Favorite Hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, The Story Behind Your Favorite Hymns, Volume 2. Truth-Centered Mission Outreach. You're listening to Issues Etc. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org this week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Parable of the Wedding Feast, Parable of the Great Banquet, Part 1 and Part 2, The Cost of Discipleship, and Lost Sheep and Coin. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at melhs.org, jkrause at melhs.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about witnessing to LGBTQ people with Dr. John Bumbaro. John, how is the authentic witness to LGBTQ people harmed by what is amounting to really the wholesale compromise of so many fellow Christians on this issue? It's harmed by this, that there are some who speak for all Christians who don't represent all Christians. You know, there's the I believe it's the Westview Baptist Church that go out there in the name of Jesus and the Holy Scriptures and promulgate full-fledged five-alarm hatred rather than understanding that this is my neighbor and how do I come alongside my neighbor? And not merely for the sake of the gospel, but because we're motivated out of love that we have undergone not only justification, but regeneration and are possessed by God's spirit, a spirit of love that extends itself to the neighbor, sometimes in an appropriately risky fashion. We use this phrase in our household a lot because we've lived in Latvia and Czech Republic. We've lived in the Hillcrest section of San Diego. And we lived in Kauai and Hayden, Idaho. And that is And we say to our kids all the time, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And when you get to that place of being uncomfortable, I mean, that's where you're stretched, where you grow, and you also find out what your real priorities are. So we're called to witness, and this witness arises from a regenerated spirit, which is driven by a love for humanity and a concern for the lost. And so what we don't want to do is conflate ideological activism with those who have been deceived by it 
or who draw their identity and purpose from it. Rather, we're driven and motivated by something else. A listener asks this. Good friends of ours have a daughter who has decided that she is gay and is planning on marrying her partner this year. Her parents are fellow LCMS Lutherans, have been in Bible studies, and are also longtime close friends of ours. We have always and still loved their daughter. We expect to be invited to the wedding and reception that the parents are hosting. While we want to support the parents as our friends, knowing the struggle that they have gone through on this issue, we are struggling with the fact that our attendance might also be interpreted as our support slash agreement for the concept of same-sex marriage. Is there a clear answer to this based on biblical principle? And what a great question. Yeah, this is particularly a challenge, but we see it also being played out in jurisprudence right before our eyes, whether it's making a cake for a homosexual wedding or a transgender celebration event, something that effect. Christians are saying, I have a principled position on this. And because of this principled position, I cannot give it my approbation. And my approbation would consist of my participation in those particular things. You know, the scriptures say that, you know, we're not to countenance or give the appearance of evil in any kind of way. What my concern is, is that there's this normalization and a social pressure of expectation for us to conform, to comport to it. My pastoral counsel, I would want to be in a bit more conversation with this couple here, and God bless them that they've maintained that friendship. If that friendship is true and there is a deep love there and that love is reciprocal, then they're not giving approbation to this Although it will become a point of tension and definitely one of conversation, it also communicates where they hold their allegiance and that they hold their higher allegiance with the world's rightful king and the nature of his kingdom. You know, there's a reason why I don't go to a bachelor party that winds up at the pole dancing joint. You know, there's a reason why, and I'm not equating the two exactly. What I'm saying is that there are particular principles that drive the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we think about such things. I think that it's important to maintain our Christian witness and to remain above reproach. And perhaps that's the term that's maybe the best one here. If this couple who seem to be quite intent on maintaining a faithful and godly witness, they can do so. And I think that maybe writing a letter and communicating with honesty, hey, this is why we're not giving our approbation to this event and to this reality. And that's because there's a greater reality. We love you as a human being belonging to the whole human race and in need of our Savior, and that he calls us to obedience and sometimes. And this is the one element that's missing here. We're called to suffering and hardship. If you're a homosexual, that means, you know, it it means a life of celibacy. It means this is the cross that you bear in in this life. And for those who have those close friendships and, and it comes into a situation like this, then this is the cross that you're to bear and to do so with integrity and above reproach. And all the while, the clear biblical statement on this would be, be prepared to give reason for what you believe, but to do so with love. How would you advise a listener to begin a conversation with an LGBTQ friend or loved one? I'm glad that those two words were there, friend or loved one. And that's what it takes. 
I don't think there's really much room for the hit and run form of witnessing to the homosexual because of authenticity and because there is history, this sort of homophobic or anti-homosexual history within at least North American Christianity. I'm in a European context and it's here as well. But that friendship, that loved one engaging in a relationship and being able to speak truth and having a common syntax that you can appeal to something that's more definitive than your feelings or your moment or the prevailing zeitgeist, being able to defer to the fact that God has spoken, that God has entered to human history, that the paragon for human flourishing turns out to be the heterosexual relationship, which is why Christ is masculine and his bride, the church, is feminine, and that he maintains only that union. He doesn't leave her nor forsake her. And this is for the good of humanity itself. So I think that long-term, and that's the thing, it's not hit and run. You're in it for the long haul. You know, and that's what love is really about, isn't it? This is one of the great things about Christianity I find so utterly compelling is that God has created things so that great loves are meant to endure. I love our Lord Jesus Christ. I so look forward to that love only growing manifold into eternity, but also that love being manifold with my wife and children and God willing grandchildren and all those that we've come to love within this holy faith. Great loves are meant to endure. I think that's why you're in it for the long haul. If you love the person, you're going to speak the truth to them and they're going to appreciate it. If it is simply about counting scalps, getting a head count for how many people you had to ask Jesus in their heart or you pulled into the, uh, into the church or something like that, then your motives need to be checked. You know, in the military would say, you need to fix yourself. You need to fix yourself on terms of those motives and go back to what, what the scriptures say. Hereby they shall know that we know him if we love one another and that our love and even our self-love has God as our first priority, and that that's the best way in and through Christ Jesus to love our neighbor. Dr. John Bombaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He made a presentation at a Making Disciples for Life conference titled Witnessing to LGBTQ People. John, thank you. God bless you and yours during this Lenten tide. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is a study of over 50 hymns. It's called Eternal Anthems, The Story Behind Your Favorite Hymns, Volume 2. You'll find it at our website, issuesetc.org, or you can call Concordia Publishing House and order it for yourself, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Ask for Eternal Anthems, The Story Behind Your Favorite Hymns, Volume 2. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., Pastor Chris Rosebro joins us. We'll talk about charismatic reaction to the Asbury University revival. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. 
Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? We'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant, Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins, and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.